to the choir master, a Psalm of David. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death, lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him, lest my foes rejoice, because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord, because he has dealt bountifully with me. This is the word of the Lord. My name is Raul Bermudez. Um, I know some of you, but I don't know all of you, so I look forward to getting to know y'all, maybe after service, introducing my family to you. Uh, just so you know a little bit about myself, um, I've been a pastor for about 16 years. I started off in the Assemblies of God a long time ago, went to seminary, discovered the writings of Luther, and quickly realized that I was reformed. And God began to do a work in me. And at that time, I had tried to go uh, a Presbyterian, but the only Presbyterian church in town where my seminary was was, a, was a, a strict, very strict Presbyterian church, and they said you had to be a Sabbatarian, a strict Sabbatarian to be a, to be a Presbyterian. So I ended up being a Reformed Baptist for about 12 years. Uh, long story short, I met Ricky Jones and Pastor Blake, and they've led me back into the Presbyterian Church in America, and I'm hoping to plant a Hispanic church uh, next year in East Tulsa. So I ask you to pray for me as I uh, undertake that endeavor. So let us pray, and let us get into the Word of God this morning. Jesus, thank you that you've called us and you've saved us. Thank you for the compassion that you have over us. So this morning, Father, we ask that you would illuminate our hearts, guide our minds and our thoughts to your word. Help us, Father, to organize our lives in such a manner that glorify you and honor you. Thank you, God, that you love us and that you've given us your word so that we might understand it, share it, proclaim it, and live it out in this world. So, Father, guide my words this morning. May the meditation of my heart uh, be clear this morning, that it may honor you and bring glory to your name. Amen. Several years ago, about two years ago, uh, I was working at a small church trying to make ends meet. I think a lot of us know what that's like, working, trying to provide for your family. And I was pastoring a church full-time and working full-time, and we got great news. We got the news that my wife was pregnant. So we rejoiced, and we were happy in what God was doing with us. And uh, because of her age, she's about 35. She, uh, the doctors told us that it was a high-risk pregnancy. During that time, uh, we encountered a little bit of suffering. She had some difficulty with the pregnancy, and she had to be hospitalized. So she was in the hospital for about two months. So I'm working full-time. Uh, I've got three kids at home that we're trying to take care of. I'm pastoring a church. I'm very stressed out, but I'm confident that God is in this, and I'm confident that God is with us and he has great things for us. So while I was at work, I got this call. They said, hey, your wife has delivered and you better get to the hospital quick because the baby is not going to survive. At that time, I questioned a lot of things. It was one of the darkest moments of my life. As I ran to the hospital, 
And I walked into the room, there was my wife, and there was a new baby girl struggling for life. And I begged the doctor, as any parent would, I begged the doctor, please, is there anything that you can do to save her? Is there anything that you can do? Is there anything I can do to save her, save her life? And we prayed and we believed God, but he took her home. She was with us for about three hours. And you can imagine, maybe if, you, if you've gone through something like that, you can imagine all the questions that you struggle with. Why? Why? So as we read the psalm this morning, we, we hear those words, how long, O Lord? I identify with those words. There was a moment where, God, I worked full time. I did everything that I could. I did everything right. I prayed. I believed in you. I thought this was good. I thought this was, this was going to be a good thing. How long? before you remember me? How long before you have mercy on me? I think if we're really sincere, all of us have had that moment where we ask God, how long? We've all had that moment where we ask God, where are you? Why am I going through these things? Why am I struggling? Why do I suffer? All you have to do is turn on the news, look at the TV, look what's happening, and you can certainly identify, Lord, how long? How long will you allow these things to happen? In reality, I started dealing with depression and disappointment. I was depressed that God didn't give me what I thought I had deserved. And I was disappointed, to be honest, in God, because I thought God was going to do something drastically different with my daughter. Some of us have dealt with some of those very same issues. We believed God for something, we believed God for a certain thing, but in the end, the exact opposite happened. And we're there, we find ourselves in, in those times struggling with faith and even asking God, do you really love me? Do, do you remember me? Did you really call me? Do you really have a plan for my life? Or am I just crazy? In our text this morning, David's going through those things. A lot of theologians believe that David was in a cave running for his life because Saul was trying to kill him. And in the midst of that running, of, uh, in the midst of that dark day, of that doubting, he writes this incredible psalm. He's running for his life and he questions the goodness of God. He questions God's plan. Did you make a mistake when you called me to be king? Did you make a mistake when uh, you said that I would do great things for your name? And certainly David... In the psalm, we see a roller coaster of emotions where he's doubting God and then he's praying and then that prayer takes him to praise. And it's kind of our lives. It's kind of a picture of our lives. We, we really have that roller coaster of emotions from time to time. We have good moments. We have very dark moments. We have very real moments. We have sad moments. We have happy moments. And it's interesting that the scriptures really affirm our humanity. And it's okay. It's okay to have tough times. It's okay to doubt. God is big enough to handle our questions. Sadly enough, today there's a mentality that if you doubt or if you have this super faith that you'll never go through anything, but that's not what the Scriptures teach. The Scriptures teach that we live in a fallen world. The Scriptures teach that trouble will come. But the Scriptures also teach that our hope is not here. Our hope is in Christ. And the Scriptures help us to organize our lives 
in, in such manner that we can live our faith out in the midst of suffering. I love the psalm because it shows me, it shows us how to move from personal pain to personal prayer and ultimately to personal praise. So if you have your Bible with, with you, or I don't know if we're going to put it on the screen, but let's take a look at the first two scriptures, the first two verses of Psalm 13, where we see this very real but very personal pain that David has. The Word of God says, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? I see four times where David says, how long? How long before you do something, God? How long before you remember me? Like if God has some divine amnesia that he can't remember David, he, he, that's what David feels. It's like, you've forgotten me, God. Any of us been there? I think so. David expresses himself to God, and what's beautiful is, is that's okay. We should express ourselves to God. We can come with, to God with very difficult questions. He is a big enough God to handle those questions. How long? That's a question of a troubled heart. How long? That's really, uh, it's not a, a faithless statement, but how long is actually a faith-filled statement. Because David says, how long? In other words, this is temporary. I realize this is temporary, but it feels like it's going on forever. We know that, right? We know that, that, that faith in Christ, we have eternity with God, that, that God is eternal, but a lot of times in the middle of our pain, in the middle of our suffering, we don't remember that. We think and, and feel like our, our, our suffering is the biggest thing in the world. And we've been taught that going to God with these feelings is wrong, but the Scriptures teach us differently. It's okay, it's healthy to go to God and weakness. It's healthy to complain to God. I don't see anywhere in Psalm 13 where God condemns David for having these tough questions. And I learned that. This Psalm particularly showed me that with my feeling of injustice, God called my, my daughter home after three hours in the hospital. Man, I was angry, to be honest. I felt robbed. I felt cheated. I felt that, you know, God was going to do something different, but he didn't. But this psalm showed me that it was okay to express that to God. God gave us emotion. He gave us feelings. And he gave us feelings so that we might recognize change or areas in our lives that we need change. I'm not saying that I was happy that God took her home. What I am saying is that Christ was enough and Christ is enough. I still have questions, but God's bigger than my questions. You know, in his pain, David accuses God of divine forgetfulness. You've ever accused God? I sure have. Man, I thought I was a pastor, God. I, you know, I'm, I'm a pastor. I preach your word, and I'm supposed to be the man of faith. How is it that I'm, st I'm here struggling with feelings of anger because I don't like what you've done in my life? You ever had those feelings? You ever questioned God? It's not a lack of faith. I think it's human. I think it's beautiful. Why? Because God moves us 
from those places to healthy places, as we're going to see in the psalm. Now, David uses a very particular word, a very interesting word in the, in the, at the end of verse 13. He says, forever. Will you forget me forever? And I think of my teenage daughter and, and my kids who, ah, oh, this is going to take forever when I ask them to clean their room or ask them to study. Oh, this is going to take forever. And, and they're very dramatic, right? David is using that same melodrama with God. You're going to forget me forever. We've done that. God, this is not fair. I'm suffering. This is taking forever. When are you going to bless me? Again, it's healthy to go to God with those emotions. Now, we have to understand the mentality of David. In the Old Testament, when God was said that he remembered somebody, that meant that God was blessing somebody. So David says, are you going to forget me forever? In fact, listen to uh, uh, Genesis 8.1. It says, but God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind blow over the earth and the water subsided. God remembered Noah. In other words, God had mercy on Noah. When David cries out and David says, remember me, he's actually saying, God, it's been a long time since you've blessed me. God, it's been a really long time since I felt your presence. And tribulation and trouble have that effect on us. We feel like God is a million miles away. We feel like God has for completely forgotten about us. We even fall into the trap and start believing that maybe God doesn't love me as much as he did before. Or maybe I've done something wrong to make God angry. But we have to remember what the Bible teaches us about Christ. He died for all of our sin. He made satisfaction for all of our sins. So there's really nothing that you can do or that I can do to make God angry. Why? Because full satisfaction was made on the cross. But in our trouble, in our suffering, in that really dark day, in our humanity, we really complain. And we really say, God, you know, <laughs> it's been a really long time since you've blessed me. It's been a really long time since you've remembered me. I've asked God hundreds of questions, and I think the most popular ones are, why are you so far away? Why don't I feel your presence? Or even, where is God when I hurt? You ever ask yourself that? Where is God when I hurt? If God is omnipresent, he's all-powerful, he's omnipotent, and he can do all things, where is he when I hurt? The truth is, is that he's really close by. He's near. He suffers with us. The problem is that we don't see suffering as something positive. We don't see suffering as something as a work that God has allowed into our lives. But if we go to the scriptures, we're going to find that there is a work in suffering. There is something that God does with our suffering. Romans 5, 3 through 5 say this, We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces hope. And hope produces endurance. And endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So there is the work of suffering. Suffering produces hope. And that's beautiful. He's, how is that beautiful? Why can, how can you say that suffering produces hope? Let's take a look at the world. Who doesn't suffer in this world? 
I see Christians and non-Christians and they suffer. No one is immune to suffering. So here's the beauty. Christ, for the elect, Christ, for the Christian, takes that suffering, dispenses grace, and uses it for our benefit. That's beautiful. Something that the world cannot understand, something that the world really runs away from. I don't see anybody running towards suffering. I don't see anybody saying, oh, God, pick me to suffer. That's really kind of sadomasochist. But the truth is that we do suffer. The truth is that we do go through hard times. And God uses those things for our benefit. Not his, for our benefit, to teach us, to mold us. You can say, How can, what can you learn from the death of a child? I can personally tell you that through that experience, I have learned that God loves me. I have learned that God is a sovereign God and that God knows me better than I know myself. And in truth, this is counterculture. This is counter North American thought. There are worse things in death. There are worse things in this world than death. So when I look at God and I look at the goodness of God and I look at the righteousness of God and I look at his sovereignty, I think, and I think it's God working in me, I choose to believe that God saved my daughter from something worse than death. So God had mercy on me. And theologically, God had mercy on my daughter. Why? She never wrestled with sin like I do. She never experienced betrayal. She never experienced the wrath of man. She never experienced those things. She went from living three hours here to being in glory with him. I think that's pretty awesome. That gives me a lot of peace. That gives me a lot of hope. I don't know what you might be going through this morning, but I hope that you can find that God loves you. And God, because you're going through difficult times, that doesn't mean that God is angry with you or that God's trying to get you to do something. No, God is working in your life. He's working His grace in your life. So be thankful for those times. David, David was a man full of sorrow. David, uh, 1 Samuel 23, 15 says that David was afraid because Saul was going to kill him. Furthermore, in 2 Samuel 12, 16, when David had this uh, Bathsheba, had a, a son out of, out of an adulterous relationship with Bathsheba, the Bible says that David cried night and day. He fell on the floor, cried out to God for God to have mercy. And of course, the child passed away. And we see that in 2 Samuel 18, 23, he cries for his son, Absalom. He says, oh, my son, Absalom, my son, my son, Absalom, who I would have died instead of you, oh, Absalom, my son, my son, because God took his son. So David was a man full of sorrow. He knew sorrow, but he also knew God. And he knew to take his sorrow to God. And that's what we as Christians need to learn to do. It's okay to have questions. It's okay to be angry. It's okay to feel injustice. It's okay to even ask God, do you remember me? Do you, do you, are you really a just God? Are you really a good God? It's okay to do those things, but do it with God and expect and see that he is going to answer. And that's exactly what happens in the text. David is asking God these questions. And these problems take David to the point where he begins to pray. His pain 
leads him to grace, a grace to look for God, a grace to depend on God, a grace to look for an answer in God. And that's how grace works. Grace always takes us to Christ. Look at his personal prayer in verses 3 and 4. He says, Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes so I sleep the sleep of death, lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him, lest my foes rejoice because I am shaking. I love this prayer. I love this prayer because it's incredibly honest. He says, Consider and answer me. That word in the Hebrew, consider, means this, look at me. Look at my pain. Do you see my suffering? Do you see my value? Do you recognize my pain? David is asking God to look, physically look at what he's going through. Look and answer. In other words, he's got an expectancy that God is going to answer him. God is going to say something or is going to deliver him. Look look and answer me, O Lord, my God. I love that. God hasn't done a thing for him yet. And he says, you are my Lord, you are my God. In other words, David is throwing himself completely at the mercy of God. That is one of the most important things that we can do in the midst of suffering. When God gives us or allows us to go through something incredibly painful, what we need to do is do what the psalmist did. Throw ourselves at the mercy of God. Ask God to suffer with us. Ask God into our pain. Ask God into that very difficult moment. And then just rest in Him. Take Him at His word. What about us? What do we do with our suffering? What do we do with our questions? I think this morning we can honestly say that, God, we need your help. I want to be more like David. I want to be able to throw myself at your mercy. I want to be able to go to you in faith and rely on you. As he, continue, as he continues to pray, take a look at verse uh, 3 again. The second part says, Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Now, in our language, that kind of seems a little weird. But literally what he's saying is, God, I need a new perspective. I need a new vision. I don't understand what's happening here. I certainly did that when I lost my daughter. God, I don't see any good. I don't see anything productive here. I don't understand why you would take an infant home. I don't understand it. I need a vision. Not, not in a Pentecostal, charismatic way, but I need understanding. I need you to shed light on my suffering. Why is this happening to me? David runs to God over and over again with his questions. He runs, he turns to him with his questions. That's important for us in our context because we go to a lot of places with our, with our questions and we sometimes go to God out of frustration. After 16 years of pastor, I, I, I can tell you that I've seen a lot of things. And one of the saddest things that I've seen is in, in modern culture, uh, a, a couple who is going through uh, marriage difficulties, uh, you know, they'll, they'll come to the office and they'll say something like this, Pastor, you know, we've, we've tried uh, counseling, we've tried um, 
uh, different books and, and we, we've tried different theories and we made an appointment with the attorney next week. We're going to get divorced, but we figured we'd let God at it, see if God can fix it. That's the wrong way of going about things. What we should do is go to God first. And then, as God illuminates our eyes and illuminates our understanding, then he's going to work through counseling and he's going to work through all these other things. But God deserves the first place. I'm not against counseling. I'm, very, I'm for counseling. But what I'm saying is God fixes the human heart, not counseling. And God can certainly use counseling. This prayer is incredibly insightful, like I've already said. And it really gets to the point where we need that illumination that the Holy Spirit provides. In fact, Paul talks about this illumination in Ephesians 5, 13 through 17, where he says, but when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine upon you. Look carefully at then how you walk, not as unwise as wise, but making the best use of time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. We can only understand what God's will is when he sheds his light on us, and he gives us understanding. When I looked at my daughter, I had no idea. I didn't understand what God's will was in that. And I'm still working through some of those things. But what I can tell you is that I've been able to help people that have been in that very same situation. And I've been able to relate. And God has used my suffering to help others. And that is a great comfort and a place of hope for me. So prayer leads us to praise. When we're honest with God, He leads us to the place where we glorify Him. Let's take a look at verse 5 uh, and 6. He says, But I have trusted in your steadfast love, and my heart shall rejoice in your salvation, and I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. I find this beautiful. Nothing has changed about David's life, right? He's still suffering. We don't see anything in the context where God has delivered David or has alleviated his pain uh, through, through some blessing. No, we see that David, through prayer, comes to the realization that God is enough. Grace is enough. How does David get there? Not through his own strength, not of anything virtuous in David. He comes to that point out of the grace that God pours out on David. It was grace that led David to suffering. That might sound difficult, but that is the truth. Grace led David to suffering. Why? Because in suffering, David sought God. And it was grace that walked David through prayer. And it was grace that was poured out on David to where he could praise the Lord. There is grace in suffering. And that is good news for us today. God doesn't expect us to be perfect in suffering. He expects us to be very human. But because we're Christians and because he has redeemed us, we have an incredible opportunity to glorify Christ and our suffering. Several years ago, while I was pastoring in Alabama, it's kind of funny, right? 
big Puerto Rican pastoring in Alabama. That doesn't happen too, too often. But I was pastoring in Alabama. I met this other pastor. His name was Pastor Bob. And I met Pastor Bob in the weirdest of all places. I met him at the hospital ward in the chemotherapy uh, section of the hospital. I was visiting a parishioner there. And I met Pastor Bob there. And Pastor Bob had a great disposition. And I, and I couldn't understand, how can he have a good disposition? I don't, how can he be smiling all the time, and how can he interact with folk? And, and, and he's glad to be there. I couldn't understand why. So one time I just asked him, I said, Bob, you got to tell me, man, what's your secret? I mean, I would not be smiling if I was at the chemo ward. I'd be very angry, very, you know. He's like, well, God is with me. I look at all these people that are here this morning, and some of them don't have God, and I don't know how they make it through without God. And then he says something even more profound, and I look at kids, and kids are going through it, and I see them playing and being kids, and I thought, why can't I just enjoy being a Christian in the midst of my suffering? And it dawned on me, God's bigger than Bob's cancer. God calls us to joy, and joy transcends suffering. I'm not saying that Bob was glad he had cancer. No, I'm saying that Bob was glad that he had Jesus in the midst of his cancer. And the same thing with my daughter. Do I have a lot of questions of why God took her home? Sure, sure I do. But I sure am glad that Jesus is my Lord in the midst of all my questions and all my sufferings. But that confession of faith is beautiful. What about us? What about our confession of faith? How do we react when things get tough? True faith can sing in suffering because suffering cannot destroy it. Suffering can only affirm our faith. Take a look one more time at verse 6. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. That's what David said. David looks back at his life. Goliath could have killed him. Saul could have killed him. Absalom could have killed him. But no, God preserved David. So he throws his trust in God and says, Lord, I will trust in you who has spared my life, who has called me to his own. And this morning, I invite you to do the same. I invite you to put all your trust in God despite your questions and despite all of your sufferings. God is a good God. Amen? Let us pray. Dear Holy Father, we come before you and, Lord, we confess that we have many, many questions. And, Lord, suffering does not feel good. We complain in suffering. We don't like it. But, Lord, we realize that you are in our suffering and you use suffering so God help us to find our purpose in suffering help us to glorify your name help us to help others who are in suffering help us to have compassion help us to be prayerful prayerful, and help us Father to trust you in all things Amen